0: chapter 4 of some haunted houses of england and wales this is a librivox recording or librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org some haunted houses of england and wales by eliot o'donnell chapter 4 number blank park street bath the horrible coughing on the stairs bath is a veritable cockpit of ghostdom its grey and venerable mansions abound in ghosts it is for its size the most psychic town in england i say this because i have at my elbow no less than twenty-five well-authenticated stories of haunted houses in this city a collection that is numerically superior to that of any other town in england saving london and to the ghosts of London there is, as I stated at my recent lecture in Chandos Street, no end, positively no end. One evening last January I read a paper on my superphysical experiences before an extremely intelligent and, I venture to say, appreciative audience of theosophists at their headquarters, Argyle Street, Bath. Among the number was a gentleman quite a stranger, I believe, who gave me his card and asked me to call on him next day. I did so, and in the course of a very entertaining chat, he narrated to me the following story. Some years ago, some friends of mine, named Hartley, took a house in Park Street, which, as you may know, is built on the side of a hill. The house suited them. It was warm, dry, and in a very tolerable state of repair, It was also in a quiet and thoroughly respectable part of the town and the rent was low ridiculously low so low indeed that they began to wonder why it was so low anxious to find out if their neighbors were equally fortunate in the matter of rent they made inquiries and learned to their astonishment that every other house in the row was let at more than double the price of theirs why was this Was their landlord a philanthropist, a Carnegie, a madman, or what? Or did the house contain some subtle flaw they were yet to discover to their disadvantage? Perhaps very much to their disadvantage, for they were sufficiently worldly to discredit sentiment in business. Getting on the track of former tenants, they plied them with cautious questions. It was of no avail the bait did not take they could ascertain nothing then they gave up and the truth at last leaked out one dreary afternoon in a particularly dreary november i believe it was the fourth of november the reverend silas weatherby vicar of an adjoining parish called on them they were delighted to see him mrs hartley was fond of the clergy her father and uncles and brothers were all in the church she had lived in a clerical atmosphere from the day she was born. But the Reverend Silas Weatherby puzzled her. Had he been a deacon, a locum, or a newly ordained curate, she would have passed him over as excusably shy. But he was too old a stager for that. Why did he puzzle her then? He was orthodox, urbane, and she would stake her handkerchief, no small tattler of ecclesiastical gossip. But yet there was something amiss with him, something that made him pause, something that made him fidget. Probably she never would have found out why he behaved in such an odd manner, but for an unexpected occurrence. Without even as much as a rap, Bobby, their youngest boy, who is, as a rule, very shy before visitors, suddenly burst into the room. He was pale with excitement oh do come mummy he cried there is such a queer old man in such a quaint dress on the staircase he is coughing horribly i fancy he must be very sick do come mummy please mr wetherby's behaviour was now odd in the extreme half rising from his seat and trembling all over he pointed his finger violently at the door run away little man he said run away no one is coughing now your invalid has recovered he is gone go directly and shut the door behind you mine shut the door and keep clear of the staircase and bobby completely at a loss what to make of this despotic stranger beat a hasty retreat mrs hartley disregarding the pleading look from her husband was about to expostulate like the majority of modern mothers her tender might i add unsound sensibilities could not bear to see her offspring treated in any but the most deferential manner the reverend silas however forestalled her with a wave of his hand that was as eloquent as it was peremptory he completely took the wind out of her sails and before she had time to recover from her surprise he had commenced for heaven's sake mrs hartley he said in a semi whisper leaning forward in such a manner as emphasised the mysterious air he had suddenly assumed for heaven's sake leave this house as quickly as you can there now arthur mrs hartley exclaimed the angry expression in her eyes being replaced by a mixture of triumph and curiosity there now didn't i tell you all along something was wrong with the place drains i suppose her husband said mournfully drains or rats and i do hate moving neither one nor the other the reverend silas whispered no the house is haunted at this announcement mrs hartley gave a slight ejaculation of terror an ejaculation which reduced to its constituent parts might be found to consist of affectation fear and no small amount of pleasure the latter engendered by the glamour of something both enigmatical and fashionable. "'What's it haunted by, teapots?' Mr. Hartley muttered with a contemptuous movement of his mouth. "'If it's not haunted by teapots now, it will be some day, for that new maid of yours, my dear, is always breaking them. She has smashed two since yesterday, and if you examine this one closely you will observe that the spout is already chipped.' Mrs. Hartley puckered her dainty brows into the most alarming frown. "'Really, Arthur, how mundane you are!' she remarked loftily, then, turning to Mr. Wetherby. "'My husband is, as you see, one of those solid individuals who believes in nothing till he sees it.' "'And not always then,' Arthur murmured, gazing intently at the parson as the latter was about to pour the contents of the cream-jug into his cup. "'Everything that appears to the eye white and sticky is not cream. "'Some animals have brains, even pigs, "'and some dairymen are frauds, most of them.' "'Good gracious me!' "'The Reverend Silence cried hastily, replacing the jug. "'You surely don't mean to insinuate.' "'He doesn't mean anything,' "'Mrs. Hartley interrupted with considerable impatience. "'He is unusually silly this afternoon, to pray excuse him.' and, with the regular six-months-in-Paris accent, Revenons à nos moutons, s'il vous plaît. I am anxious to hear about the ghost. Mr. Wetherby looked a trifle sulky. He fought shy of sceptics, and he no longer enjoyed his tea. "'Now, mind I don't ask you to believe me,' he began, "'although there are plenty of people in this parish who will confirm what I say. "'But eighty or a hundred or so years ago—' a son poisoned his father in this very house the manner of the poisoning was quite orthodox arsenic in apple dumplings there have been many parallel cases chiefly i believe in liverpool arsenic being an irritant causes considerable vomiting hence the old man must have had several attacks of sickness prior to the one that terminated his existence as he was travelling downstairs to fetch a doctor he died it is said in excruciating agony on the landing at the top of the first flight of stairs and it is his ghost that haunts the house mrs hartley hazarded the reverend gentleman nodded just so he said and it was this apparition undoubtedly that your little boy saw just now it always appears on november the fourth the anniversary of the murder and Mr. Wetherby was going to add something that, judging from the increased solemnity of his voice, would have been very impressive when Mr. Hartley cut in. Then at all events we shall have a reprieve, a year's undisputed possession, subject to no interference on the part of the spook, Mr. Whatever's his name. He laughed irreverently. You certainly won't catch me giving up this lease for any so immaterial a reason. No, thank you. I cannot get as good a bargain as this every day in the week. The Reverend Silas rose to go. "'Very well, then,' he said, bowing stiffly. "'I could say more, but I won't. "'I am sorry I have said as much. "'Some sceptics are never convinced. "'Some sceptics do not wish to be convinced. "'Some sceptics may be convinced, but prefer to appear unconvinced. "'I am no metaphysician.' "'I will not attempt to classify you. "'I will only say, may you never be afraid. "'I trust Mrs. Hartley at all events is not a sceptic. "'I hope she is not a psychic, especially not a psychic in this house. "'I wish you good day.' "'You did not wish us good luck,' Mr. Hartley explained as the door banged. "'By Jove, I have no patience to listen to such stuff. "'Haunted indeed!' But his wife shook her head scepticism is one thing, and what Bobby saw is another, she argued. You can't get over that, Arthur. Now, are we doing the right thing for the children in remaining here? In all matters concerning her children, mrs Hartley's instincts were always acute. One or two of them were babies, even younger than Bobby. On this occasion, however, Mr Hartley held his own. Bobby, he reasoned, "'must have had the day-mare, and even if he did see anything, no harm has come of it. "'You must recollect, my dear,' he observed, "'that I have not been doing over well on the stock exchange lately. "'Moving is a costly thing, and if I spend money in one way, "'I must recoup it in another, which means no new dress for you "'and no Western Super-Mare for the children.' "'The validity of this logic was not lost upon Mrs. Hartley.' she reflected and then with her customary adroitness gave a turn to the conversation it was once again november the fourth of november and the staircase incident of a year ago now seemed remote and improbable it was however uppermost in the minds of both mr and mrs hartley though they both pretended to have forgotten it they had neither seen mr Weatherby again nor had they mentioned the appearance of the ghost to any one it was really of so little consequence it was a wet afternoon wet and chilly and as neither mr or mrs hartley had any particular inducement to face the elements they decided to stay indoors mrs hartley reclining in an easy-chair before the drawing-room fire whilst her husband seated himself in like manner before a blazing hearth in the dining-room they tried to read they could not they tried to sleep they could not and somehow they felt that they ought to go and look at the children but they would not and so they whiled away the hours in this half-hearted and wholly unsatisfactory manner it seems a sudden opening of the nursery door first disturbed mrs hartley and fancying she heard someone steal gently across the landing she called out there was no reply so thinking it was fancy she was about to settle down again when the sound of someone coughing made her heart beat quickly who could it be not the nurse the nurse wouldn't cough in such a deep and hoarse manner nor yet arthur she would recognize his cough anywhere hark there it was again cough 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 just as if someone was being sick. Someone being sick? Ah, who could that be? Who, indeed? But, and fearing lest one of the children might be on the stairs, she overcame a momentary weakness and sallied forth. What she saw froze her with horror. At the top of the hall staircase was the figure of a man clad in the costume of the eighteenth century, that is, long maroon tailcoat with vest to match, knee-breeches, and coarse yellow stockings. Mrs. Hartley couldn't see his face, as he was in a recumbent position and vomiting horribly. Looking up at him from below, her eyes big with pity and wonder, not fear, was Kitty, the Hartley's youngest child. Catching sight of her mother, Kitty cried, "'Oh, Mummy, do tum down. The poor man is awful ill.' "'Do help him. I'll tum to,' and, suiting the action to her words, the little mite prepared to ascend. No sooner, however, had she set a foot on the staircase than the old man slipped, and, falling sideways, plunged through the air. Making sure Kitty would be hurt, and regardless of the fact that she was merely clutching at a phantom, Mrs. Hartley appears to have made frantic efforts to save the disaster.' Whether in her agitation she tried to go down the stairs too quickly, or whether in her anxiety to save her child she lost her head and simply leaped forward, it is impossible to say. She herself always declared that the stairs collapsed under her. Anyhow, she fell, and crashing into Kitty literally crushed the life out of her. Mr. Hartley found mother and child lying together at the foot of the stairs, and although he saw no sign of any apparition, he was no longer a sceptic. His wife recovered, at least she is alive, though I am told some internal complaint, the result of the catastrophe, makes her long for death. Some months after Kitty's burial, when time had to a certain extent mollified the poignancy of suffering caused by her death, mr hartley received a letter of condolence from the rev silas weatherby the greater portion of the epistle was simply a formal declaration of sympathy but the concluding lines inasmuch as they bear on the haunting are worth repeating the worthy divine wrote as follows quote, if you recollect at our last meeting i gave you to understand that i had something further to tell you read the occult disturbances in your late abode "'You will probably treat my statement with contempt, "'badly concealed under cover of a pretty pasquinade. "'but I am prepared to run the gauntlet of your scepticism "'in order to relieve my conscience. "'What I would have told you, had I not been silenced, "'culpably I own, by your ridicule, is this. "'The appearance of the sick man had always been followed "'by some dire calamity, whenever any attempt has been made "'to set even as much as one foot on the staircase.' during the manifestations hence my warning to bobby i cannot of course explain to you why a phenomenon of this sort should entail physical disaster any more than i can elucidate the mystery of the ghost candles of wales or the banshees of ireland between which manifestations and the phenomena in question there is a strong analogy but should you feel sufficiently interested in the subject to ask for further information or even be sufficiently dubious to demand testimony i will with pleasure provide you with an abundance of creditable corroborations both documentary and oral end quote. but mr hartley was perfectly satisfied end of chapter 4